I want to open with a story that wasn't necessarily in my notes, but I just sensed in my spirit I, I wanted to share uh, in light of some of the songs we were singing and the, the hope that we truly have. Um, I, I like to share these stories as I wake up every morning with a few more gray hairs. I know they're hard to see from where you are, um, and I may or may not color some of them, and I may or may not pluck a lot of them. It's like the little pile gets a little bit bigger and bigger every other week, um, but I still haven't caught Blaine, so I'm good at least for a little bit. Sorry, I had to pick with him. He did so good on rattle, man. I hope I can jam on rattle when I'm... I hope I can jam on rattle whenever I'm in my teeth. And so uh, I just look forward. The older I get, the more I like to talk about how cool I used to think I was. And so in telling this story, it was 2008. I had played six innings and extended spring training, which is like baseball purgatory. I don't necessarily believe in that, but that's kind of what it felt like. And uh, I was sitting on a bench in the last three innings and I, I prayed this prayer, God, if Major League Baseball is how I'm going to provide for my family, then I will continue to endure this wonderful blessing called the minor leagues. Um, but if it's not, and this is what I said next, I've had enough of this dream. <laughs> I'm ready to go home and get started on whatever it is that you have for me. I was there for one more day. That was a Wednesday afternoon. I was there for one more day. On Friday morning, the clubhouse manager came in and said, hey, Fry, Skip wants to see you, which means you can pack now or you can pack after the meeting, but you're going home, my man. And uh, since I had just prayed that prayer, uh, it was like God was waiting for me to get my dreams out of my system, you know? And I just prayed that prayer, and, and sure enough, you know, you know, we got so many people and your age, and we didn't pay you enough money, so you're really just a pawn. He didn't say that, but that's what I heard. And so I packed my stuff, I got in my truck, uh, I called my fiance at the time. Guys, I was excited, like I was ready to go home. I was frustrated enough for 17 people and I was ready to roll. And so on my way home, I'm talking to my fiance. I'm talking to my, my biological father, my stepdad, my mom, like I'm coming home, Jack. <laughs> and I, I was so excited um, that as I was on the phone, I can't remember if I was on the phone with you or my dad, but I looked up and I was leaving from Kissimmee or Orlando, Florida. Okay, and you're supposed to go north, and you're supposed to exit on I-10 and head towards Tallahassee, right? I looked up, and I saw a sign that said, Welcome to Georgia. Okay, Georgia is not on that route, guys. So I had driven 60 miles. That's a solid hour if you're driving the speed limit at that point, and I wasn't, so it was only about 30 minutes. But I was still, I was at least an hour out of the way from where I wanted to be. And, oh, man, I got out. I was so mad because I was going to drive home in one day. Like, I was going to be there that night. And I, I called my mom and my stepdad and I called my fiancé. I called my dad, and I was fussing. You know, I had to weave my way back through Podunkville to get back to the interstate, and my dad was was like, Chris, you don't ever know like what God may have been doing right there. Just get back in your chair. He's always Mr. Realistic as long as it's not happening to him. So he would <laughs> just get in your truck and come home. It's basically like, quit whining. My goodness, just come on. And so I, I got back on the interstate. And when I got on the interstate, I looked back and I saw smoke coming out of the median. 
and there was a big 18-wheeler tanker truck that had turned over and it had caught fire. And there were first responders, EMS, fire trucks, and, and they were putting that fire out. And so I just assumed, as soon as I got on the interstate, man, I probably just missed that. I would have likely been right there when they, and I called my dad and he said, see, boy, I told you, you passed up that exit and the devil was going, no, turn, turn. Why are you not turning? And then I thought this morning, how many times have we praised God for the things that we didn't even know he was doing? How many times have we grown in our relationship with God that even when we feel like we're headed in the wrong direction or something happened that shouldn't have happened, we can still praise him because we trust him enough to know that he is still working behind the scenes. That even what the enemy meant for evil, come on, God still works. God, things don't work, but God still works all things to the good of those who love him. In Luke chapter 9, in light of this series, Jesus said, what? Um... Luke chapter 9, we went kind of a verse by verse, but I skipped this very important passage down towards the end of this chapter. It's actually subtitled, The Cost of Discipleship. The Cost of Discipleship. So I decided to preach a message today called, How Much Is It Though? Now, maybe you've never asked that question. You know, you've heard maybe this before, but, but somebody would say, Spare no expense. You know who says spare no expense? Somebody ain't paying for it. That's who says, <laughs> like a daughter at her wedding that spare no expense. Like, hang on, hang on though, because I got two of these and I only have so much expenses. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I, if, if you've ever wanted to buy something, sometimes I go in a store with little people. And then I go into a store with a little bit bigger little person. And, uh, and then sometimes I... Well, I have staff members, right? And it just kind of seems like everybody always needs something. And what they need costs money. A lot of money, by the way. Lights and cameras and cords and Wi-Fi and a playground and a new building. And okay, so we just have these things. And my question is always, hey, pastor, you know, we, we, they'll come in and present the vision, right? Because I told them that. You got to cast the vision. So they come in and they, they cast your vision. And I'm like, I don't care about your vision. How much does it cost? <laughs> How much does it cost, though? You know, like, guys, there are things the men will, some of the men will understand. Ladies, I don't know if you'll get this until later, but, but there are things in my house that cost me money I can't even use. That's a true story. Like, did you use the towel hanging in the bathroom? Did you use the hand towel beside the sink hanging in the bathroom? It was Gabriel. I don't know. You can use the hand towel. I can use a hand towel. I grab a pillow. I lay down on the pillow. What are you doing? I'm laying on the... That is a decorative pillow. I'm about to decorate the backside of my head with this pillow. We're going to call it a throw and lay down on kind of pillow. Like, cause if it, because if it costs me something, and I understand... Hang on, I got one more. But, <laughs> I'm looking at this comforter and I thought, man, this comforter's got a little bit of a yellow tint to it. Because somebody, not me, thought it was a good idea to buy a white comforter. Have you ever slept on a white comforter? Okay. 
We don't even sleep with a comforter. We got blankets that end up on the floor. We sleep with other blankets. It's just decorative, right? And I was like, man, we need to wash this thing. She's like, oh, I'm going to buy a new one. It's like, no, we're not just going to buy No. Babe, you got to get a new one every three years. What magazine did you read that we got? <laughs> well, so-and-so and so-and-so said they had a white comforter and they have to get a new one every three years. And I was like, well, so-and-so ain't paying for a new comforter unless they want to and they can gift us a brand new white comforter. We're going to call in this thing called bleach and we're going to have a brand new comforter come next week. <laughs> If you understand the if you understand the cost of something, then you want to take full advantage of it because you understand the cost, right? If you don't understand the cost, then you take it for granted. If you don't understand how valuable it is, then you have a tendency not to take full advantage of the value that was given for it. In this passage in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57, Jesus begins to explain the cost, the value of discipleship. And a disciple is very simply a follower of Jesus. In this passage, we see three unnamed individuals. I actually heard a message on this a long time ago. Maybe I read it in a book. It all kind of jumbles together at this point. But this pastor was pointing out that there are three people in Scripture that Jesus actually talked out of following him. Could you imagine? Like, I invite somebody to church, you convince them not to come. You bring in a friend, and I'm like, hold up, what you doing? Because I saw you last week. You're not really following Jesus. Like, that's kind of what this passage feels like, where these people, they said they wanted to follow Jesus, and it seems like Jesus is trying to talk them out of following him. Or maybe, or maybe, he's just showing us some things that we can learn. Let's start reading in verse 57. I'm reading, I'm going to start out from the English Standard Version, and I'll, I'll actually convert over into the New Living Translation before the end of the day. But verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. All right, this is a new convert. This is like, I just got saved excitement. You remember those people? Yeah, they'll do anything until you ask them to. They're great people. They're so excited, so excited. It was like, I'll show, Pastor, you tell me what you need. And I'm like, okay, we meet at 6 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and we pray to prepare this place. Pastor, I will do, I'm not really, I'm more of a double digits kind of a guy. So I go like, can I be here at 10? <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really exciting Christianity and, until it comes to understanding the cost. And this is what's about to happen to this person. They said, I will follow you wherever you will go. And Jesus said, oh, yeah? Because uh, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no lay, nowhere to lay his head. The story continues, verse 59, to another he said, Jesus says this time, hey, follow me. I want you to follow me. I know you've heard this your whole life, but come on, let's do this. And then the guy says back to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, guys, this is pretty reasonable. Right? Like, this doesn't seem like he's asking for a whole lot. He just wants to go bury his dad. I'll come back to it in a little while. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Look, I don't know if somebody woke Jesus up early. 
Maybe he had a bad night. But as for you, he says, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's the second disciple. Here's a third one, just back to back here. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, even confessed him as Lord. I will follow you, Lord, but careful. That's the one that gets a lot of people. You know, I used to follow Jesus, but I want to live for Jesus, but I, I really want to give, but I really want to serve, but like our butts keep getting in the way. You know what I'm saying? That's uh, why we have children's ministry, y'all. Lord, I want to follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Apparently, this guy wasn't listening to the last one. Verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. All right, let me give you a, a disclaimer here. There's a lot of interpretation on, on this passage. A lot of commentaries, a lot of theories, a lot of ideas, okay? And, and I'm not telling you today that, that the one I'm about to give you or even some of the ones I'm about to give you are, are biblical absolutes and there's no other explanation. In fact, I'm not even saying that I'm absolutely right in all of these, okay? In fact, I tell you this often, the Bible says we should test everything that is said. So just because I say it, doesn't mean that you should just accept it as true. You should go weigh it with the Holy Spirit, let it line up with Scripture. And if you want to come argue with me, we can do it on a not Sunday and we can have those conversations. But test everything. What I am going to do today is I'm going to give you some things I believe that God has laid on my heart. And I guarantee you, if you'll lean in today, even if you may disagree on some of the specifics, if you'll lean in today, I believe that there are valuable lessons to be learned from these three people. These unnamed characters in Scripture. The first disciple, the lesson I believe we can learn is that we follow with purpose, not for possessions. That's really important. Because if you're following Jesus for something, you may stop following him when he doesn't do what you were following him for. But if you're following Jesus with a purpose or an understanding of why you're following him, then it, again, as we said just a couple of weeks, it doesn't matter what happens, you will keep following him because you know why. One of the first things that we ask every couple that we sit down with and, and, and officiate a ceremony for is, why do you want to get married? Oh, you know, because I just love her. Oh, I mean, it's funny how sappy guys get all of a sudden. Because like, I just love her. No, that's stupid. That's not why you want to live. It's not why you want to get married. Well, I just, I mean, she just makes me feel so good. Well, she's going to tick you off within six months. It's going to happen, I promise. <laughs> why do you want to get married? And we make, we make the couple define why. Because a lot of what's are going to come up. Within six weeks, six months, certainly six to 60 years. It's going to happen. But if you understand why. So I believe that the, the essence of this first conversation is foxes have holes. Come on, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Here's what Jesus is saying. This is not going to be a comfortable journey. 
Your calling is not about your comfort. Jesus is saying, oh, you want to follow me? Go wherever I go. Here's the cost. Here's the cost. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it's not in your notes. You can turn there or reference it. Go back and look later. Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasure on earth. Now, listen, I'm for savings accounts. Uh, We have one as a church and we have one as a couple. So I've got them publicly and privately. And I am grateful for them, especially last year when we had to close the doors of the church and I wasn't really sure how we were going to feed 10 families that I convinced to come to Eunice and serve with me on staff. That's a little nauseating. And we, we like to keep, as a church and as a couple, we like to keep three months worth of our salary, wages, benefits, whatever it causes for our bills We like to keep three months' worth in a savings account. I believe that's what we should aim for. That's a principle that we live by. So I'm not against savings accounts, okay? I'm not against a storehouse. A storehouse is very biblical, corporately and privately. It's a very biblical principle. It always has been. But let me tell you what I I am for. I am for operating in obedience in every area of my life, specifically this one, because this is the area that Americans make a God more than any other area. Because this is a land, come on, this is a land that defines their self-worth on their net worth. And when you do that, You undermine the true cost. You don't truly understand your value because you have placed your identity in created things instead of the creator of things. So Jesus says, do not store up for yourself earthly treasure where moth can come in and eat it up. And please stop putting mothballs in your attics. My, it's not good. Everybody smells that, okay? It reminds me of a junior high bathroom. Don't do that. If you have them, ask somebody to go get them out of there. Moth comes in and still, I'm sorry, eats it up, and then rust will just begin to eat it away and destroy it, and then the thief can come in and steal it, right? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Instead, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Guys, personal conviction, okay? I believe personally. I don't want you to walk out of here condemned today. I didn't even preach this as much online as I am in person. I don't want you to walk out of here condemned or or overwhelmed by guilt. That's not the point. I'm sharing a personal conviction that I would be afraid of not practicing. I believe that the first 10% of my finances goes to Jesus. I practice this personally. Guys, we practice this as a church. You know why we don't have to beg you for finances when a missionary calls and needs something? You know why we pay thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars consistently every month to over 50 missionaries and projects and events all around the world in this city and across this nation? The reason that we're able to do that is because every week we take 10% of everything that you give and we put it in missions. That's our tithe. And since we started that, God began to multiply the finances of this place unlike I ever believed he could have. And I don't think he's done. 
I've seen him do the same thing in our personal lives. So the first 10%, don't you walk out of here condemned today if you hadn't been given or tithing the first 10%. What I'm challenging, encouraging you to do today, maybe you don't feel like you can start at 10%. Start somewhere. Begin to give faithfully and consistently. And I believe that my daddy, who is also my provider, will show you his faithfulness in those areas. The next 10%, I believe you should pay yourself. Now, we may lack on that one just a little bit sometimes because we like stuff. <laughs> but the next 10%, retirement, savings accounts, whatever that looks like, pay yourself. And then live off of 80%. Live off of 80%. Stop trying to live above your means just to keep up with people that are mean. Come on, somebody. <laughs> live within margin. Yeah, I believe these principles will save a lot of marriages. I, I believe these principles will save a lot of friendships, will save a lot of family relationships. Jesus, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, reading from the New Living Translation, he says, Beware, beware and guard against every kind of greed. Why? Because life is not measured in how much you own. Your self-worth is not your net worth. No matter what this society says, there's more to it than this. And then Jesus tells a parable about a rich man who had, according to Scripture, very fertile fields that began to produce an, an, an overabundance of crops. And the guy looked at his fields and, and the storerooms that he had weren't big enough, so he tore those down and he built bigger ones. And the Bible says that he looked back after he filled those storehouses and he said, now I can sit back and I can rest. I can take it easy. I can eat, drink, and be merry. The same phrase that was used in the days of Noah. I can relax now because I have everything I need. And then Jesus says that the Father says, you fool, your soul is required of you this day. And then at the end of that passage in verse 21, Jesus says this, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. I want you to catch this. The Bible doesn't say that you can't have nice things, that you can't provide for your family. The Bible doesn't say that it's a sin to be an American with running water, electricity, and a vehicle, which puts you in the top 3% of the richest people in the entire world. Because most, and by the way, I am, I am happy, I am glad I am an American because I have talked to people that have been to Asia and India. I've been to Africa twice. I've been in different places, and I am very grateful. I still believe that this is the greatest nation in the world. So all color, all creed, all ethnicity, and all background, I am grateful. And I'm not going to feel bad because I happen to be raised in the land of the free and the home of the brave. We're going to celebrate that a little bit next week. But I do want to honor this principle and understand that even if I'm in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world, if I don't have a rich relationship with God, I have nothing. Let's go to the second disciple. The second disciple, I believe we can learn this lesson. We follow Jesus to move forward. He says... Uh, 
Jesus, I really want to follow you, but, uh, but I need to go bury my father. Guys, that's really reasonable, okay? And then Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim. Man, that's a little harsh. In fact, that, that, one hits me, that one hits me personally. Some of you know my story. I won't share the entirety of it. But, but the week that I was supposed to move to Searcy, Arkansas with Pastor Vernon Abels and be on the staff there, my dad had a massive heart attack and he was in ICU the weekend I was supposed to be in Searcy, Arkansas. Okay, so imagine with me if I call Pastor Abels I'm like, hey, pastor, I really want to be there this weekend, but my dad had a massive heart attack Wednesday night, and uh, he's in the ICU, so I'm going to have to miss my first Sunday. And Pastor Abel's response, Chris, let the dead bury their own dead. If you want to be here on this staff, guys, that's intense. That's a tough response. So what we have to attempt to discern in our humanity is what was Jesus trying to say? So first of all, we got to put it back in the historical context. And we take, cannot take one scripture, call it doctrine, and leave out the entirety of the Bible. It's very important. So historically, it was supposed that a son would attend the memorial services of a father, specifically in Judaism. <clears throat> and that son, especially the first son, the first son received a double portion of the other sons and daughters of the family. Now, Jesus knew that. In fact, that's why, do you remember when, <laughs> you remember when uh, Elisha asked, asked from Elijah for a double portion of his anointing? This is what he was pointing to. He was saying, hey, I know, I know your mantle is going to come down and the anointing is going to flow because it's God's anointing. But I, I want, of anything that I could ask for, I want a double portion. I want the first son anointing is what Elisha was asking for. So in this society, that son needed to be there in order to receive his inheritance, likely even the first son. So what he was saying is, hey, Jesus, let me get all my stuff in order and then I will come be obedient. And that's the exact opposite of what Jesus came to do. What this guy is saying is, Lord, let me go fix this and then I'll follow you. And you've heard this before. Man, I just need to get a few things right and then I'm going to come to church. I, I just need, I need to get a, a few things right and then I'm going to give. And then I'm going to serve. And then I'm going to show up. I just need to fix a few things and then I'm going to follow Jesus. I need to get this right and then I'll come before God. No, no, no. What we don't understand when we say those things is that's the exact opposite of why Jesus came. You don't fix things to follow Jesus. You follow Jesus and you fix your eyes on him. And then he begins to work everything else out according to his will. So you don't clean up to come to the Savior. You come to the Savior and he cleans you up. You don't get everything right. You go to Jesus and he makes you righteous. And I believe this is the principle. We all understand and agree with that. See, if we just look at this verse in and of itself, then we, we miss the inspiration of the memorial. Hang on. The inspiration of a memorial 
Yeah, see, the original Greek word for dead is nekros. It, it, it literally means a corpse or a, a person with no life, a lifeless individual. So the New Living Translation actually gives a better interpretation of this verse when it says, Jesus looked back at the guy and said, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Here's what Jesus was saying. Son, without me, you're as dead as your daddy. That's a tough conversation, right? God, what do we do with that? Here's what I sense the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning and test everything that is said. What I believe Jesus is saying in this passage is you can go to that memorial, but you can't stay there. You can go to that service, but you can't stay there. They have passed, but you're still here. So you still have a purpose. The reason that they passed is because their purpose has either been fulfilled or they forgot what it was and there was no hope for them. That's challenging. And I want you to hear this pastor's heart this morning. I just turned 37. I've got a lot to learn. But I've seen, I've seen a lot. Like since I decided to follow Jesus. It rains on the just and the unjust. And, and I have seen things since I was following Jesus that I didn't want to see. I've been a part of things that I didn't want to be a part of. One of those things is every memorial service that I have been to for the last decade and a half. And I can easily say, easily. I was looking at my, my I opened up my documents and to see how many I've officiated. And, and then I started thinking of all the ones I've sang in and then the ones I've been invited to, to just pray. And, and then the ones that I just attended. And then I remembered, man, just in the first year of ministry with Pastor Vernon Abels, he did 20, 20 memorial services in one year. Guys, I'm... I've attended or been a part of at least 40 myself, if not 50 or 60. And I hate every one of them. But you know what the biblical truth is? The biblical truth is that it has been appointed unto every single one of us once to live and die, to pass from this life into the next. So you want to know the greatest honor I can do for my daddy is not get stuck at his memorial or get stuck in his passing. For my nana, for a child, for a loved one, for a friend, the greatest honor I can do for that individual, if they could come back and tell me one thing, here's what I believe they would say, live for Jesus. Live for Jesus, because your days are numbered. Your breaths have already been determined. Jesus said, can you add one day to your life by worrying about it? No. Live for Jesus. The greatest inspiration of a memorial service is to go and attend and show honor. But you can't get stuck there. You can attend and you can learn the lesson and the greatest lesson that you can learn is to be inspired to now leave that place and live for God in a way that that person no longer has the capacity to live. That's who we are. 
And that's what Jesus is calling us to. We follow to move forward, not move on. No, 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 we're carrying that. And we're going to use it as inspiration to lean into Jesus and learn the lessons that we're supposed to learn. Here's the third and final disciple today. The third disciple, I believe we can learn that we should follow out of relationship. We should follow Jesus out of relationship. This is one I'm going to lean into the most, the life lesson that I believe is probably more valuable than any other life lesson that I have to share. Last week, I picked with Pastor Blaine on the, on the way into this message this morning, so I got to brag on him a little bit, too. I thought he did an incredible job last week of defining the difference between religion and relationship. I'm going to be careful as I say this, but one of the things that I'm actually very convicted by is my preference and my personal desires versus God's actual principles in Scripture. For instance, I believe that the church has lost a lot of its voice on biblical marriage in 2020 and 21. The world stopped listening to what the church had to say because for a hundred years we said that if the person wasn't the same color as the other person, then it was an unbiblical marriage. And now when we're saying, now when we're saying, no, 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 we're sorry, we were wrong about that. But it really is unbiblical for a man to be married to another man and a woman to be married to another woman. It really is unbiblical to say that you can't choose who you're attracted to, but you can choose what gender you affiliate with. No, 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 that really is unbiblical. And they're not listening because for a hundred years, we said something was unbiblical that Jesus didn't say was unbiblical. We missed the relationship. I, I don't fear that my children are going to rebel because if they do, they do. But it's not going to be because I just expose them. Well, they're going to learn anyways. <laughs> Where do you draw that line? Do we just start watching rated R movies at three years old? Make sure well, they're going to see them anyways. I may as well show up to them at home. <laughs> How crazy is that? I don't know. I have got to develop the strength of the relationship with them. Because hear me, hear me parents, hear me friend, hear me family member, hear me follower of Jesus. Rules without relationship will always lead to more rebellion. Some people are going to rebel anyways. But if they rebel, it shouldn't be because of my rules. It shouldn't be because I didn't do everything that I could do to tie the knot of relationship with that individual. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 that one person standing along can be easily defeated. Easily defeated, the Bible says. But a two can stand back to back and they may have the capacity to defend themselves. Okay, I'm going to hang in there for just a second because I believe that in parenting, it's, it's my child and me. I believe in my friendships, it's, it's my friend and me. I believe in, in my marriage, it's my bride and me. 
I believe at work, in the community, like it's really important that I form that relationship. Jesus found personal relationships so important that he actually said, unless you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you can't even really understand this first principle. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Why? Because your ability to love people is a reflection of your ability to love God. And if you want to know whether you're loving God or not, all you got to do is look at how you are or are not loving people. So I believe that I can raise three children to experience their first kiss at their wedding altar. In this culture, that sounds crazy. And I don't need luck. I need Jesus. I need relationship. Because hear me, a standard without a soul tie, it just expands people that already feel separated. Now, some people are still going to rebel anyways. Some people are still not going to listen. They're still not going to understand the cost. They're not going to be willing to sacrifice or surrender. But it should not be because the church and or I am more interested in the rule or the principle than I am the relationship with the person. Are you with me? In my parenting, I have to form the bond of relationship. In my marriage, I have to form the bond of relationship. In my pursuit of Jesus, I have to form the bond of relationship. Why? Because two people may be able to stand together. And back to back, they may be able to defend themselves. But the Bible says whenever you include a three, a third fold in that cord, something significant begins to happen and a three-fold cord is not as easily broken because it's not just you and her it's not just you and them it's not just you and him it's God the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit intervening on your behalf to do what you can't do and form a bond that is not easily broken in your life so that the relationship is even stronger than the rules and the standard is based off of a soul tie you divide the gap of relationship and it is out of relationship that everything else flows that's the number for me personally, of people under the age of 18 that I know who have passed away in the last year. And that's just that I can think of without looking it up. Two of them were in this city last week. One of them, their memorial was hosted right here Monday. Wow, this pastor's trying to take advantage of an already painful situation. Oh, you better believe I am. You better believe I am. Now, I'm not saying that these parents weren't doing their job. I know, I know several of them personally. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that when we see that, it should be more than just a, a momentary heartache where we go, oh man. And then we begin to pray that that, that never happens to us. No, no, no. What that should do is cause an awakening in our spirit. That an open door policy is not enough. 
has an open door. Well, anybody can come to church. Yeah, but who's invited them? An open door policy as a parent, as a friend, as a family member, an open door policy is not enough. We have to go through the door or at least knock on the door. See, we need to get into their world. Jesus didn't just stand in heaven and open the door. Come on, he got in our world. And the Bible says he will leave 99 just to go after one. And he will forgive 70 times seven in the same day if you'll just receive the forgiveness. Everything flows out of relationship. So when I cry with people at the memorial of their loved one, I, I understand it. And don't ever say this to them. I understand that from, from Earth's perspective, death seems so final. And Jesus would respond to somebody wanting to go and tell their family members bye by saying, listen, if you put your hand on the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Why? Because you can't walk forward looking back. He's not being harsh. He's trying to help us understand the perspective that heaven has. Because from earth's perspective, hear me, death is so final and it hurts, man. And it's so heavy, but from heaven's perspective, come on, when we pass from here to there, it's just the beginning of what we were even created for. Like this is just a probationary period for us to begin to understand our true purpose. It's a, an opportunity to raise awareness for why we're really here. I put my arm around a 14-year-old young lady this week as we were walking out of that memorial service and I said, sweetheart, please hear me, hear the heart of this daddy and this pastor. This is why we live for Jesus. This is why. Because eternity is so much longer than earth. We can't just live with an open door policy. We gotta get in their world. You have to get in the world of your child. You have to get in the world of your spouse. You have to get in the world of your friends. You have to get in the world of your coworkers. You gotta get in the world of that waitress. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for you. He came and he got in our world. And two may be able to stand back to back and defend themselves. But when the father sent the only begotten son and the son sent the Holy Spirit, God said, you may pass from this life into the next, but you are not dead and you will not die. Because we follow with purpose. From heaven's perspective, it's just the beginning of what God has for us. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, help us to understand that everything, everything flows out of relationship today. Lord, may we evaluate right now our relationship with other people. If we're confident in the fact that we're following Jesus, that we know him or we're getting to know him, that's great. But may 
we evaluate every area of our lives. How strong are our relationships? Can the strength of our relationship endure the lack of morality in this society? Can the strength of our relationship endure the temptation? Can the strength of our relationship stand firm on righteousness? Lord, help us to see where we can grow. In what area of our lives, if we were to talk to you face to face, where would you challenge us as you challenge these three people? See, the choice is still ours today. The Bible doesn't say that they didn't follow Jesus. It says they wanted to, he challenged them, and now the choice is theirs, just like it is ours. If you're in the room today and you're not confident of who you are in Christ, can I tell you that he came? He left his comfort. He came to this earth. Come on, he was tempted in every way, but without sin. He was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. For what? To pay the price. What's the cost? What was the price? Relationship with you. That's how valuable it is. That is the cost of discipleship. The cost of you following Jesus. Here's all it's going to take is for you to form a relationship with him. Why? Because he wanted a relationship with you so badly that he already died for it. That's what we believe. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, I want to invite you to just open your hands in your lap right where you are. If you're watching online, you don't have to be in-house to confess Jesus as Lord. This journey is not going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be fun. But God will make it worth it. Will you give your life to him? Will you surrender your all to him today? Maybe some of you need to recommit your life or reconfess Jesus as Lord. Maybe some of us just need to really commit our lives. If that's you, I just want to invite you to open your hands in your lap right where you are. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer out loud with us to begin this journey. It's hard enough to live out. Jesus made it very simple to begin. He said, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, if that's you, I want to invite you to pray with us. Church, please pray loud today. Even if you're confident, especially if you're confident in who you are in Christ, pray loud so that anybody in here would have the confidence to pray out loud. Come on, let's pray it together. Say it with me. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short, been disobedient, I've doubted. That's sin. And sin separates me from you and the relationship you died for me to have. I believe you gave your life so I could live. You died on the cross. You shed your blood so I could be redeemed. You were raised from the dead so I could be born again and made new, a child of God. May I follow you with all of my heart. No regrets for the rest of my life. I surrender all right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can you give God praise today?